Hello and welcome to Leaders to Go, a podcast series brought to you by Sports Business Journal, Leaders in Sport, and the Esports Observer. My name is Chris Hanna, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Esports Observer. Right now, you are listening to Conquering Geek Culture, and together with my guests, I will examine how digital entertainment and popular culture impact the sports and esports industry. Hear from the leaders who spearheaded culture and the ones driving it today, and learn what you need to know in order to not lose touch with today and tomorrow. Hello and welcome to another episode of Conquering Geek Culture. I'm Chris Hanna, and today we're going to talk about a very geeky topic, trading cards. And today I'm joined by Jason Mashara from Upper Deck. Thanks for making time, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having me. So to kick things off, in your own words, what is Upper Deck? You know, Upper Deck is an entertainment company, plain and simple. Uh, we, we do have three different divisions of the company. We have trading cards, we have authenticated memorabilia and collectibles, and then we have games. We make tabletop and, and trading card games. So Upper Deck was founded in 1988, which is like over 30 years ago. Can you speak a little bit about the history and what the market looked like when the company was founded? Yeah, it's it it's so long ago now. It doesn't it doesn't seem that long ago. But you know, the premise behind Upper Deck was to to make a, a premium trading card. At, at the time, trading cards were, I would say, they were collectible, but they were never viewed as a premium collectible. And um, the the founders really wanted to bring a premium experience to trading cards, uh, make a, a bright white stock. Um, bring a glossy finish, and most importantly at the time to prevent people from counterfeiting. And uh, one of the trademarks of our company on, on trading cards is the anti-counterfeit holograms. There was a lot of counterfeiting back then, and uh, it was a way to you know stop people from counterfeiting. And then on top of that, they added the, the foil pack, uh, which was to, to prevent people from, from tampering with packs. A lot of us, when we were kids, they, they had these wax packs um, where people would actually open them and take out the cards and reseal them. And you, you couldn't do that with a foil pack. You actually had to destroy the pack. So it was really about bringing a, a quality, authentic experience to the consumer when the, when the company was, was founded. So you've been with the company for over 14 years. You started with MLB NBA as a brand manager for the MLB and the NBA. And then, you know, there's different stations that you walked through and now you're actually president of the company. So what made you join and how was your journey? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I uh, I grew up, I worked, and and for a little while I owned a, a card, comic, and gaming shop. And uh, after I graduated college, I kind of went into, I would call it normal corporate life. And I always wanted to get back into doing something sports and entertainment. And I ended up here after I got I got done with grad school. And, you know, I was, uh, I was a trading card guy. I grew up on trading cards and, and comic books and, and games. And I started with the NBA and the MLB, running running the brand, uh, doing everything it takes to, to get products out to the market. And it, it was an interesting experience. It was interesting to be on the, on the other side, um, going from a collector to, to working for the company. And you know, there's a lot of different things that happened over the years here, but it gave me the opportunity to, to grow here and, and take on the, the entertainment licenses, the authenticated memorabilia. And then, you know, in 2012, we restarted the, the games division as well. So it's, it's been interesting and it's, it's kind of cool because all the things that I was involved with growing up, you know, I've been able to, to run and, and learn about here on the upper deck side as well. 
I know that feeling. For me, it's video games, but I can definitely understand what you're saying. So, you know, a question is, given your background then, are you a collector? You know, I, I would say I collect a, a little bit. Uh, I think it's hard. Um, you know, all the effort I have day to day when it comes to the collectible market and even the gaming market is really focused on Upper Deck and, and making sure that we put out a, a quality product and, and making sure we have the, the best employees. So when you look at the different um, brands you worked with and you mentioned how you started. So right now, if you look at Upper Deck, there's so much more you do. And you mentioned entertainment already. And, you know, if we step aside from sports for a second, like, you know, there's movies, like artists, all these different things. How do you pick industries you want to be active in? Well, I, I think it really has to match the brand and, and work for the brand and, and our knowledge of the people that we have in-house. You know, uh, when I took over entertainment, we had a couple brands, um, in particular Marvel, which I was surprised, you know, we weren't doing more with the Marvel brand. And, you know, we, we've got a great team that has expanded a lot of the things that, that we've done with Marvel. And then, you know, the next question becomes is what else fits? And I think, you know, in particular on the entertainment side of the business is, you know, what is, what is something that people are passionate about? What's a, what's a property that that people are passionate about that they either want to play a game or they want to see trading cards. And when you look at some of the properties we've added over the years, they're these really passionate uh, cult like brands, alien predator X files, you know, Buffy clerks um, you know, a lot of these are, are, are maybe not the biggest brands, you know, the mass market brands, but they're, they're brands that people are passionate about. And, and that's what we try to do uh, on kind of all sides of the business. So you're serving niche brands as well? Yeah, we really do. You know, for us, it's about is it is that our type of consumer who who is passionate about that brand? So, yeah, it doesn't have to be the the biggest brand. And, you know, I think that's where, um, you know, gaming, trading cards and 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 esports really fit in is, is how passionate that that consumer is or that that collector will be. Um, you know, we're not, we don't need the biggest brand. We just want the, the most passionate fans. So how do you find out if, you know, an audience is passionate about a specific topic? You know, I think it's, um, you know, you've got a lot of passionate people here in this building, um, at Upper Deck and, you know, you kind of see these fandoms, whether it's on message boards or out on, on Twitter, Uh, or any social media. And quite frankly, we get a lot of people that's, that make requests for different licenses to, uh, for us to pick up, to make trading cards or, or to put into one of our, our gaming engines. Um, so, you know, whether it's somebody that has a passion project here or it's something that, that we see out in, in threads and message boards, we're always kind of looking to see what the, the next thing is that, that people will, will get excited about us, you know, bringing a product to, to market. Can you describe your typical audience? Is there like a stereotype collector or are there kind of segments that you look at? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I think each of our, our our divisions has a little bit different um, profile. So, you know, trading card collectors are very passionate about trading cards and there's certain types of rarities. And, you know, on the sports side, it's about specific players or teams that people are passionate about. On the entertainment side, it's, you know, a favorite movie, a favorite television series, or with like Marvel, it's a particular character in a, in a lot of cases. And then, you know, on the authenticated memorabilia side, it's really about um, 
the the athlete, the the best athletes in the world, and and being able to get a really nice piece of art or uh, print or an autographed jersey for for a wall. Um, you know, we're seeing a, a, a big passion for autographed uh, items that go on walls with everybody doing Zoom meetings and, and Uber conferences and things of that nature. Everybody wants to have a nice background. So, you know, that's more of a, a decorating, you know, hardcore passion. And then on the gaming side, it's it's really about gameplay, you know, and, and especially gameplay around a subject matter that that people are passionate about. And, you know, it's it's in many cases it's storytelling and being able to tell a good story or replicate the feel of that, that property. You know, if you're, you're playing alien, you know, our legendary alien game, you know, you want it to have that feel of, you know, is something going to get me when I, when I go around a corner. So it it really just depends on, on the division of the company. So when we're talking about trading cards and we're talking about games to me, initially, that's two completely different things. Do you create your own game engines or do you work with, you know, the IP holders on what it should look like or how, how does the process work of creating a game? Yeah. So it's a great question. I think, um, you know, tabletop games are, are very similar to, to video games where, you know, some mechanics are, are developed in, in house. Some of the game engines are developed in, in house and some are, are done outside with outside developers or outside game studios. And quite frankly, uh, our head of, of gaming, you know, a lot of times tries to figure out, okay, what, what are we trying to accomplish? And, you know, who is the, the best developer, the best development studio to, to deliver that, that gaming experience to the consumer. Can you help me understand how your audience changed over time? And I have a few questions that go into video gaming and, you know, I want to cover the Overwatch League cards as well, but just to understand like over the recent 30 plus years then, are there any patterns that you see, you know, that changed behavior of your audience? Yeah, I think the the pattern is more on the trading card side of the business. You know, we've seen these uh, ebbs and cycles over time of the excitement of trading cards. And the trading cards, they kind of come and go uh, based on a lot of times disposable income and, you know, how the economy is doing and, and whether people can afford to buy trading cards. You know, when you have a big recession like we had in, in the, the end of uh, 2008 to 2010, if people have to make decisions about buying groceries and trading cards, well, we know what wins. Uh, so you do see these cycles. You also see cycles on you know, rookies. People chase rookies because they want that, that rookie card. Gaming is, is pretty steady. You know, people want entertainment. They want to play games. What we have seen over the last, I would say, half dozen years is that there is a return to playing games with people face to face again. Uh, you know, it's kind of mixed in with with the video gaming. Um, but you do see these different cycles depending on on which market you're, you're talking about. So you did um, World of Warcraft as well. What drove that decision? Well, you know, back in the early 2000s, we started doing trading card games and you know, we've had quite a few over the years and World of Warcraft at the time was uh, just a mass phenomenon, uh, even more than than it is now. And it just seemed like a good fit to mix what we were doing with trading card games with a gaming IP. And honestly, it, it did really, really well. And, and the relationship with Blizzard um, has been great ever since. I think that's also part of the reason why you have Overwatch League cards. 
Yeah, for us, looking at what was going on and the way Blizzard was de- developing their esports platform, you know, esports in general, at least the modern version of esports, actually is a, a a very close replica to what we call organized play for trading card games. So in the early 2000s with Yu-Gi-Oh, we created this tournament system, this worldwide tournament system for people to be able to compete and and become professional trading card game players. And as we saw what Blizzard was doing, it, it felt very similar to what we saw with trading card games. And there was an opportunity to celebrate the professional gamers in a way that was authentic with trading cards as well and give the fans of the different teams in the different cities cards that they could collect of their favorite gamers. So it just seemed like a natural fit all the way around. You know, we we have a game division. We're the only major trading card company that has a game division. You know, we make trading cards. We, we do sports. We do entertainment. It just seemed like an overall fit. And then the longstanding relationship with Blizzard just made a lot of sense. And you also now mentioned Yu-Gi-Oh, right? If you look at the the hype around these kind of games, how does that make you feel? Like, did you, I mean, obviously you hope for this, I guess, but did you really expect things to go that crazy and people to become so hardcore collectors as they probably are with sports cards? Well, you know, I, I wasn't here at Upper Deck when when that phenomenon w- was going. Uh, unfortunately, I came in and and that w- was over. But the phenomenon that we've seen and, and today we see the same thing with with Pokemon and, and Magic. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And and going back to your question about cycles, I think one of the things that was a really misnomer, uh, if you go back a decade ago, and people talked about you know the trading card industry, where did it go, things of that nature. I view the trading card industry as not just you know sports trading cards or collectible trading cards, but also trading card games. And I think what we saw for a period of time was people and kids in particular, kids and college students had kind of moved away from the collectible trading cards and the sports trading cards and went to trading card games. So the market was just as big as it ever was. It just was very diversified from what we had known in the 80s and 90s. So to me, it's exciting because now, as as somebody who grew up in this industry, there's something for everybody. You know, if you want to play a trading card game, you can, and those are collectible. You know, some of those cards are getting huge dollars now. If you want to buy something of, of Spider-Man or, or Wolverine, you can. If you want a, a sports trading card, you can. And now you've got things like gaming trading cards and, and esports trading cards. So to me, it's a very exciting time in, in the trading card industry. How do you engage your audience? Like, how do you make sure that people, you know, also want to engage with the games? Like, do you run activations? Like, how do you get to your audience, really? Yeah, and again, it depends on the on the property and the division of the company. You know, for us, uh, if you just talk about the the gaming division, our, our big tentpole every year is a, is a conference in Indianapolis called GenCon, where we we set up. We always strive to have the best booth at the show and then we have tournaments for the the, the players that play our game so very very similar to, to what we see on the on the video game side uh, and then it's it's also about being active in the community whether it's it's online or, or in person at different events uh, that's important to us uh, we actually have a pretty big initiative going into the next year or two to become even more ingrained in the community because i think in particular with gamers more than any other thing that we ever participate is it's about authenticity and showing that you actually care 
uh, about your your collector base or your game playing base uh, because gamers more than anybody want an authentic experience. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're seeing with a lot of the sponsors that are trying to come into esports or gaming is they're not authentic. They don't fit what the gamer expects or, or the products that the gamer wants and, and gamers want authenticity. And it, it's, it's pretty clear. And it's fun. You mentioned this because, um, I've seen trading cards now where you help brands get into spaces by also you know, like putting a logo on actual collectible trading cards. Like, can you share a little bit about what you do there and what your rationale behind that is? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times you get sponsors that, that sign up for sponsorships in an area. So like Overwatch League, and uh, they know they want to be there. They know the demographics fits their market, but they really don't know how to activate. And, and the reality is in sponsorships, there are very few really effective activations. And what we found uh, over the years is that people love trading cards and it's a great way to deliver somebody's brand to the consumer. And not only that, you're not only touching them, whether it's it's at an event um, or it's when you buy a product, but those cards live forever. People collect them. And if it's associated with a brand, uh, like recently we, we did one with, with Pringles and Cheez-Its, you know, that brand is going to live in that binder on somebody's wall um, next to somebody's computer forever because they're passionate about that subject that's on that card, you know, that Overwatch League player, uh, that's really exciting uh, from a branding standpoint. I don't really know of an activation that's any better than, than being able to deliver uh, somebody's brand with trading cards. And I think a lot of the fascination that comes with collecting and, you know, the things you just mentioned is that there's a physical good that I have in my hand, right? I can have this old rookie card. I can have this really old trading card from 30 years ago. What's your take on digital products? Well, you know, we've taken a different strategy than pretty much everybody else in our trading card space. So uh, most of the the brands that have gone trading card have gone digital and purely digital. And I agree, there, there's nothing better than having a, a physical trading card. And in particular, the way modern trading cards are now with autographs and pieces of game used jerseys or in the case of overwatch league you know we, we actually take some of the guys mouses or keyboards and we embed them in cards you know stuff that they used in a tournament you know there's no way to replicate that digitally it just doesn't doesn't work so what we've done is we've used our upper deck epac platform to be able to allow people to open up packs virtually but the cards are physical and you can actually have them delivered to your house. So you could actually open a, a pack of cards on Upper Deck E-Pack and have the cards delivered to you the next day if you chose. But it also gives you the ability to connect with people all over the world who also are collectors. And, you know, if you're collecting, you know, your team, regardless of sport in L.A. or Dallas, you can find somebody in another city and you guys can trade between each other and you're actually transacting those physical goods quickly. And the ability to trade really harkens back to what trading cards was supposed to be. It's supposed to be trading cards. You know, we allow people to, to interact with consumers all over the, the world and trade trading cards between themselves in milliseconds and their physical goods that you can have shipped. And it's just a, it's a unique platform and it's a very different experience you know i i had a uh, 
uh, a unique experience with a with a trading card game, a digital trading card game several years ago. It was a Marvel game. It was called War of Heroes. It was a fantastic game. Guys had spent thousands of dollars to build their collections. And like any license, their license eventually expired. And overnight, we watched people's collections, thousands of dollars that they had spent on their collections disappear. And to me, that could happen to any digital trading card platform, regardless of, of what it is. Because as we know in the gaming space, games sunset, licenses expire. And for us, it's important to give people physical goods because they will retain the physical goods ownership forever. Like once you buy it, it it's yours. And that, that was a big piece of it as well. So, you know, we used the digital space as a delivery method and not a replacement for trading cards, physical trading cards. So Jason, can you walk me through your EPEC strategy? Yeah. So EPEC was developed back in, in 2015. We had actually been working on it for a couple of years and and the thought process was really, how do you take physical trading cards and deliver them digitally? The thought process was, if I'm sitting on a, on a subway train in Chicago, New York, London, I want to be able to open trading cards anywhere, anytime. And then I want to be able to engage people as well and, and trade and collect sets. And, you know, was this kind of three-way platform, we needed a technology producer. Uh, we found a, a company in Pittsburgh called Dynamics um, because the transactions needed to be secure. You know, we can't have issues with the transactions, especially if it's a one of a kind card. Uh, they do credit card transactions. So we know it needs credit cards need to be secure. They need to be accurate. Uh, so they fit our profile very well. And then the biggest challenge was finding somebody who could actually scan the cards front and back so that the card that you see in the pack is actually the card that you get. So in the trading card world, things that affect the value are, you know, how good does the autograph look? If there's a serial number on it, what's that number? You know, a LeBron James card that is numbered 23 of 23 because it's his jersey number is worth more. Um, or that piece of jersey, you know, if I've got a, a, a piece of a fueled jersey, how cool does that piece look? Those all affect the cards. So you can't have a, a, a representative sample. You actually need to see what that exact card looks like. And you know, we found this company, ComC in Seattle, that actually is a consignment shop for cards. And they do all the scanning front and back. So we kind of put the whole thing together and created this world where you could actually open physical trading cards virtually and then trade them in, in, a, in an instant with other people. So the card I'm seeing is my actual card, which means I'll get, you know, the, the unique serial number. I get all the stuff like I see it online and I can trade it online, but it's my actual physical card. It's your card. That card that you see is exactly your card. So, you know, kind of old school. If it comes out of the pack with a ding corner, you see that ding corner. Um, if it has a really cool autograph or, or the, the player or the actor, you know, did an inscription on it you know, put their nickname on it. You see exactly what you're going to get. So there's no surprises when it comes in the mail. And you gave me fight the whole process of collecting, right? How did you do that? Yeah. So, you know, because we have a gaming division in the company, we were able to take a lot of the things that are very popular, particularly in video games and apply them to trading cards. So, you know, we have badging, 
uh, you know, login streaks, all the f- kind of fun things that that you can apply uh, to badging. But I think the biggest thing in the in the game changer to me is achievements. And you know, part of collecting trading cards is collecting a particular player, completing a set, completing a team set. And we wanted to add achievements. And again, very similar to the the video game realm, uh, is that you know when you complete a set, complete a level, you actually get something a bonus for free. So you know if you go on the Upper Deck EPAC platform, you'll see that hey, if I complete this hundred card set, I actually get an extra card for free. Uh, if you you know collect the Valiant and you do a Valiant set. I can actually get an autographed jersey for free. And, and that works for me because I collected all the Valiant. I'm a Valiant fan. Now I get a Valiant autographed team jersey. Like that's pretty cool. So we're really rewarding people in a way with physical goods that's really never been done before and applying those gaming tenants to, to trading cards for the first time. So what are your engagement rates on the platform then? Do you see people engaging in these patterns of, you know, completing sets, trying to reap the rewards? Yeah, I think that was one of the things that really took us off guard when we we first launched the program was the number of trades. You know, I think there's something pure about trading. You know, you see most of the trading card world these days is all about eBay and sales and auctions. And I think at the end of the day, there's something to the art of the deal of just pure trading and being able to do that deal to get that player I want or to get that last card um, to make that set. Because at the end of the day, as a collector, I've spent the money to buy the packs or the boxes. And now I've got extras that I don't need. So I want to be able to trade those for the cards I do need. And What we see is is people really engage. They spend hours just trying to craft that deal, complete that set, and then at the end of the day, get rewarded for all that work that they've done. And that that was surprising to the level we've seen. Uh, you know, we're seeing hundreds of thousands of of trades per month. It's it's really incredible how how much people are engaging with each other in the community. How will this impact your decision-making process on, you know, how and where you develop further products? Well, I think there's a couple things. I, I think the, the thing about Upper Deck EPAC that really is a game changer for us is that we can touch any collector anywhere in the world, any time of day. And I think the challenge for this industry has been, particularly in for physical trading cards, How do you get to those consumers? Not every consumer has a trading card shop. Uh, not every community has a, a Walmart or a Target to, to go to, uh, particularly when you get outside of, of North America. How do you reach those consumers? So we're able to touch anybody that has an internet connection in the world, which is exciting. And you know, just to speak further on that a little bit, it was important for us not to just go app-based Uh, because you do have limitations on where people have cell service. So, you know, everything is is based off of our website, uh, upperdeckepack.com, and we have a mobile version. So you can do it on your phone, but you're not limited to the phone. Um, but then we get to see what people are passionate about on, on the site. And again, we have forums on the site, so we can see people request specific licenses or properties, things of that nature. And it is interesting. Sometimes the, the best performing products are not, you know, the biggest brands or, or licenses. 
So what's next, Fafa Dick? You know, there's a lot of things uh, on tap. You know, I think uh, we're going to continue to really look at the esports and gaming trading card uh, space really closely. Uh, we're going to continue to expand. You can expect some some announcements after the first of the year from us there. Uh, and then we're always looking at new opportunities and, and new licenses and, and new spokesmen uh, along the way uh, to kind of expand our portfolio. So, you know, one thing that working at Upper Deck is, is it's not boring. Uh, we always have something going. It's always a challenge. It's always quick moving. It's very fun. And it seems to work because you're around for very long. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to believe. I've been here 14 years and the company's been here, you know, 32 now. Um, it just kind of seems to to go by quickly. So, you know, I want to close this off with two questions I have for you. And one's really open. Like, is there anything, you know, that you've not been asked in interviews yet, but you really want to answer? <laughs> um, you know, I, I can't say that, that there's anything that, that springs to mind. What is a piece of advice that you've received and it can be in private life, you know, or in business life that you want to share with people who listen to this? You know, I, I think the, the, the biggest piece of advice that I was given, and honestly, I don't remember who gave it to me was sometimes the best deal that you do is the ones that you don't do. And that one has been, I repeat it all the time. It has been the most potent piece of advice that I've really lived by. You know, sometimes deals just aren't meant to work out and there's always a good reason for it. Thank you very much. Thank you.